Fleetway Incorporated is a reliable and speedy courier. They only employ the best ex-highwaymen and former pirates, so you know your precious cargo is in safe hands. With the region's largest stable of Pegasi, next day delivery is almost guaranteed. Extra charges apply for deliveries free of Pegasus dung. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I, as always, am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ, and with me, as always, is... Pete Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Role Players. Russ, as ever, is an absolute paroxysm of pleasure to be here. Hey, we have a guest! Ah, uh, a guest. A very special guest. Who is it, Russ? Who is it? He's, uh, he's, he's flown here all the way from America in a, in a, a Renaissance flying machine he built himself. Mm. Sounds One of these things may be true, one might not be. Um, our guest this week is Owen Casey Stevens, who, I was, I was going to sort of list his resume, but his resume is so long that it would take up the but entire... we've only got like an yeah. hour of podcast, man. Uh, but ba- I mean, you know, there's ba- limits to how much we can do. But basically, hello, hello, Owen. Hello, Russ. Hello, Peter. How are you guys doing? We're, we're great. Very well, thank so you. So for those few listeners who don't know who Owen is, and I'm sure they're are none of those but uh owen has worked on uh, for wizards of the coast he's worked for paizo he's worked for green ronin he's uh, headed up his own um game publishing company uh, he's uh, written in dragon Mag- he's done everything you you literally can't think- you, you, you can't list all the things that owen's done i think i quite like the way you put it last week which is that if you play something with a D20 with a fantasy theme, and you've almost certainly come in contact with Ursula as well. <laughs> At some point, yeah. <laughs> Not that we're trying to pick you up, Owen. Yeah, but, yeah. No, no. Well, I mean, I admit that when I, it was announced that I was uh, going to be the Fantasy Age developer for Green Ronin, which is the most recent gig that I'm doing long term, a number of people were like, I didn't know Fantasy Age to use a D20. No, no, it doesn't. I'm, I'm not restricted to a D20. <laughs> I have versatility, I'll have you know. Absolutely. <laughs> what is quite surprising is um, I've sort of peripherally known Owen for, what, 20 years now in an online capacity, but we've never, yeah, actually, something like that. We've never actually met, have we? No, really no, we haven't. Weird. Well, I mean, y- y- there is this little thing called the Atlantic, which somewhat complicates us. Actually, it makes it slightly more difficult. Yeah, um, but uh, but I've met quite a few people from the sort of Seattle area, but somehow I've managed to, I've managed to miss you every time. Well, you, you don't go to Gen Con all that often, so those rare occasions in which you have shown up, I have not, and that that is pretty much our one opportunity to actually be in <laughs> yeah, the same place. Yeah, yeah. no, I haven't been to Gen Con in ooh, five years now, maybe? Yeah. Wow. We'll have yeah. to go to it's Gen Con, to go. I'll run a game, and then you can play. How about that? Right, shall we do some RPG news? Yeah, that's, that's Absolutely. Like a good idea. Yeah. Well, yeah we are an RPG news, news podcast. It seems like, seems like the sort of thing we would do. Well, I know you don't like to be bound by tradition, Russ, but... Um. <laughs> that is true, that is true. Um, okay, let's start Let's start with some there's, D&D news. Ah, uh, there's D&D news. Not just... Not just yeah, that's, that's unusual, isn't it? I don't know. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, quite a bit of D&D news. Let's start small okay. and work our way up to the big D&D news, shall we? All right. Okay, so the first bit of D&D news is, um, do you remember we covered uh, uh, an Extra Life charity release last week? Yes, uh, that was a, what, 112-page adventure? 
It was. Levels it was. five to ten. That was. Hmm. Look, 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 pretty meaty. So yeah. Well, there's a, there's another one. So another again, one. from Wizards of the Coast. Again, all the yeah. proceeds go to the Extra Life charity, which is for kids' hospitals in the US. Um, oh. And this is called Adventure with Muck, M-U-K. <laughs> okay. And what this is, it's a it's a forty four page. It's for it's for kids. It looks like it's for a forty four oh. page D and D activity book. Um, so it contains uh, adventure hooks, puzzles, um, some something called unique Dankwood Goblin character sheets, uh, and every page in there is designed to be coloured in. Really? Oh. Hmm. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, yeah, all, all the money goes to uh, goes to charity, and you can pick that up for. I'm just going to click through because I didn't check that nine before I started nine. talking. Uh, Four ninety nine. Four ninety nine. Oh, yeah. Game. I mean, the whole thing's sort of black and white with line art for you to colour in as well, right? Which makes it ideal for kids. Yeah. I am. Oh, what else we... players? I am genuinely fascinated the number of spaces that Dungeons and Dragons is moving into, and I sort of feel like it's moving into them again. Right? This mm. is this is is the sort of thing that I would have expected to see when there was a Dungeons and Dragons animated show in the eighties, and there were Dungeons and Dragons yeah. toys at at Toys R Us uh, back oh, when there was a Toys R Us, right? And and oh, then it all moved away. Yeah. Uh, and now it's back. D and D is appropriate yeah. for children I mean, again. A, yeah, I mean, there's a, a Rick and Morty box set that yeah. came out this week. That's, yeah, that's, but I don't. I genuinely don't think that's for kids. Yeah, Rick and Morty isn't for children, like mm, at all. Fair. Not, not, fair. not, not even slightly. <laughs> right, no, right, <laughs> like, I agree. You you're right. Yeah. If you search for a child, they will acquire a whole new gamut of language <laughs> and ideas, which well, would be I, like. I, I'm sure children watch Rick and Morty. I just don't think oh, they're oh, the yeah. target audience. But I mean, there, there was this this time where D and D was sort of marginalized and and considered to be for adult geeks only and inappropriate for mm. children. And that that period appears to be over, right? Mm, um, absolutely. So now we've got Muck, the bravest goblin, and his best friend Bird Squirrel doing adventures in the Dankwood, and that's that's very much uh, a a child focused thing and i haven't seen any outrage over this right there's there's no mm. one who's who's boycotting the idea that they are selling D to kids yeah, yeah. So there's also things like that that thing that wendy's did a few weeks ago which yeah, yeah, seems yeah. quite you know that's oriented towards younger people too definitely well and that is also just things coming around again right i remember when the uh the noid from domino's pizza had a video game and for that mm. matter, the 7-Up Dot had a video game. So the <laughs> idea of taking marketing things and making popular games out of them is certainly not new, but it's something that hadn't happened recently for a couple of decades, mm. maybe. And I strongly suspect it is a good deal cheaper to make a decent tabletop RPG than a video game nowadays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. <laughs> video games have budgets in the, well, the big ones in the, in the hundreds of millions these days, don't they? Like the really big major ones, like bigger yeah, than films. Well, I, mean, I think. I think they. Some of them certainly do. The question is, is that what we'd be comparing them to, or would we be talking about, you know, like Rick and Morty has a video game. Well, I presume that video game wasn't hundreds of millions. That that's the I sort of thing. That, no, right. No. Um, you can do quirky hmm. little side scrollers with with video game generating programs more easily than that. But right. there's a somewhat different marketing place for tabletop versus video games. And I'm, I'm just fascinated to watch 
you know, uh, we had a Cologne that had a release for Pathfinder of, of uh, yes, Old Spice. Old right. Spice, yeah, yeah. So this is just a thing that, <laughs> that big companies yeah. and marketing departments are seeing have value. And it, it can't be that they think that people are, are putting them in serious games. So that's for the beer and pretzels quirky set or the people that are just going to look at it and be amused and, and you get brain space because it's unusual. Hmm. But it's, all, it's not even just that. It's also you've got Amazon picking up Critical Role for two seasons. Yes. That's massive. Well, I think that's what started this this whole thing, is that there, there's now a new f- way to absorb role-playing game material. And yeah. I think those streams, those really are a different business, right? That's like the difference between being a, a book writer and being a movie director. You may be adapting something with the same name, but it's a different business plan and it's a different market. Mm. Right. Shall we, shall we move on with the news? Yeah. Uh, because we have some more D&D news. Uh, apparently, I've heard a rumor that Wizards of the Coast released a little book this week. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, looking blank. No. Skipped over well, you that but, one, did it? Well, but... but. <laughs> Doesn't ring any bells for bit. Doesn't ring any bells for me. Whatever. <laughs> oh, I see you. I see you have the non-special edition cover there. <laughs> well, uh, listener Lee Donovan, <laughs> who is that? My friend, um, yeah. D- due to having the sad news from Amazon that we weren't expecting deliveries until Christmas 2020 of his mm-hmm. copy of uh, Returning from the Last War, um, then went and sourced an alternative copy, which meant that on the same day. <laughs> Christmas 2020? I believe he may have been exaggerating, <laughs> but right. not for a long time. So he has the unspecial and the special edition, um, so he's let me one, and I may well be running Eberron. I'm just waiting for my Amazon one. It'll arrive at some point, probably before Christmas, no. maybe. Who knows? Who knows these days? Maybe they just don't like you, Russ, because Lee's getting I think, his stuff. I, I think that's basically it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazon hates me. Yeah. Just to be fair, most people do. It's understandable. <laughs> um, what was that? Anyway, so uh, we were um, the, the the mysterious book we were just talking about was of course Eberron Rising from the Last yeah. War, and yeah. that released this week. Um, I haven't seen it yet. You have, yes. Um, there is a there's a Eberron for those who haven't got it yet. There's a little preview online, which is the oh. arcane propulsion arm. Uh, and this is an artificial arm which you can remove. Oh. You can throw it at people, and then it flies mm-hmm. back, and it reattaches to you. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. It's um, I, I it's, it's, it's a thing. traditional barbarian method. Rip their arms <laughs> yeah. off, beat them with a the socket, yeah. and throw that <laughs> with your own eyes. I tend to think of it in, in the rocket fist category rather than the yeah. entire arm <laughs> leaping off. And, and I mean, I'm okay. If your character is someone who will beat someone with your own severed arm, that's fine, right? That's that's a <laughs> legit character concept. But I don't think that's what they were going for for this one. No. <laughs> I think um, rocket fist does sound a lot more sensible. Um, okay. I'll, just, I'll just have a look at it. it well, it's doesn't mention rockets. <laughs> um. Conceptual space, Russ. <laughs> I'll have to work with this. <laughs> uh, so so you, you've glanced at Eberron, Pete, Peter. What do you, what do you think? Because you're in an Eberron campaign right now as well, aren't you? Uh, well, I'm actually in an Eberron campaign, yes, uh, which has been very exciting. We're currently exploring an underground research facility, which, you know, is not something I thought I'd say about Dungeons & Dragons. I think there's great potential for a sort of Indiana Jones meets James Bond uh, riffing off a bit of spooks 
mm. and possibly a bit of ultraviolet for those of you old enough to remember that. Um, and getting on and doing something with that. So I think ultraviolet. That's, that rings that rings a bit. Yeah, remind me. Vampires. It's ba- in it's the London Underground. Like, was it that one? Yeah, yeah, similar. It's like yeah, yeah. Um, basically things like Charles Ross's The Laundry series, um, a government agency that deals with things that go bump in the night, but mm. sort of adjusted because I'm not sure how relevant a Cold War theme will be for uh, new players, which is going to be my people I'm going to be bringing in to give it a whirl on. But yeah, it should be. It, it, it should be good. It's very much in the conceptual stages. Uh, I'll talk more about it as a writer, I guess. Mm, fair enough. But your thoughts on the book, since you have it there in your hands? Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, your... Uh, I mean, I can't give you the weight, which is obviously the thing that our readers are most desperate to, our listeners are most desperate to know. But yeah, it's a good quality book. It's uh, very much up to the usual standards. We previously talked about how many like different... NPCs and stat blocks and like information you have. I think definitely you could run stuff off it. Uh, mm. And probably the biggest points for me are changelings who could potentially have plus three charisma or sorry, plus three points for points by to give them 18 charisma at starting character creation, mm. which is yeah, not too shabby. Um, and orcs have been released. They're not placeholder races. Um, they're actually like you know you're full on legit they've taken away the minus two intelligence which I think is really really nice uh, gives a bit more flexibility to the character concepts so yeah um, I, I'm, I I haven't read the whole thing yet I only picked it up on Wednesday I've been like just having a leaf through last night but yeah looks good well I'm still trying to work out a schedule with Keith Baker to get him on mm-hmm. um, it's just a it's just a scheduling thing but hopefully we'll get him on mm-hmm. and we'll have a proper proper Eberron fest that week if we can get him on yeah 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 well, he's got Exploring Eberron coming out sometime soon, doesn't he? Yes. His own book? Yeah. yeah. So, yes. and for me, one uh, of the most exciting things about about Eberron is that Keith can can leap in and do his own stuff on the, the mm. DMs Guild so that we can get, you know, mm. the, the world's creator's thought on what it is we need. And to me, that's yeah. very, very exciting. Oh, well, talking of, talking of, Keith. Have you ever uh, played in the and, setting? Oh, 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 sorry, yeah. oh, I was going to say, Owen, have you, you ever played in the setting? <laughs> Have yeah. I ever played in the setting? Yeah, I've played in the setting. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought Dragon Marks yes. were awesome, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, but, you know, it, when Eberron came out, I was still doing a lot of freelance for Wizards of the Coast. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm in this weird position that it can frequently be part of my ability to pay the rent or the mortgage or whatever to play mm-hmm. in a new setting and understand it. So uh, as it happens, I think it's brilliant and a lot of fun. But even if I hadn't, I would have been playing it just so I'd understand it and could write for it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Oh, but in this God. case, Keith did a really good job. So, <laughs> well, talking of Keith and exploring Eberron, which you just mentioned, Owen. Um, so, this is uh, Keith's new book, which is coming out in December. Uh, yeah, we're coming out on the DMs Guild PDF and hardcover. And uh, according to, I mean, we don't know an awful lot about it yet. Um, the cover has appeared online. Keith posted it on his on his blog, and it looks absolutely gorgeous. That cover is fantastic. Yes, um, it is. and. This is going to dive into parts of Eberron that haven't yet gotten an awful lot of attention in, in an existing book. So we've got uh, undersea civilizations and outer planes and all sorts of stuff like that going on in this book. Yeah, uh, there's not, like I said, there's not an awful lot to, to know about apart from that so far. Okay. Oh, that, that sounds exciting. We shall look forward to seeing it and yeah. possibly even talk yeah. to Keith about it. Yeah, yeah that will be in December. 
Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Paizo is yep. having a massive humble bundle um, Pathfinder first edition um, source book sale and comics. Right. And comics. And comics, and comics. yeah. Comics. Yeah. Right. So it's all. It's I didn't of, know Paizo uh, did comics. They, oh, yeah, yeah. They did lots yeah. and lots of part. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Paizo doesn't do the comics, but, but the Paizo the stories are being it? told in yeah. comics, right. I think Eric Eric Mona has written a good few of them, hasn't he? Yes, quite a bit. Um, He's written a lot of those comics, and for that matter, he wrote the uh, Starfinder comics that were in the back of the Pathfinder comics for a while. They had a backup feature that was our first Starfinder comic. So, yeah. Yeah. Eric's a huge comic fan. Yeah, I was just about to say that. He's a massive comic book fan, so that must have been, you know... An intersection for him of uh, two of his favorite things, Pathfinder and comics, and then he gets to write it. That must be absolutely perfect. Yeah, he's written some, and Crystal Frazier wrote some, um, who's also a tremendous writer. Yeah. Uh, So I I recommend them. Um, Again, for me, uh, this is sort of full circle. I remember when there were the first D&D comics came up, and it was was a a fascinating... And I suspect Eric remembers when the the first D&D comics (laughs) came out. Um, yeah. And so it's it's an interesting visual way to show people some of what these worlds and stories are like, uh, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people can draw excellent inspiration from them. Um, is there a particular one that you, or particular series or plot line that you remember that you would recommend, or they're all just generally really good? Uh, I don't remember the name. There's there's one that specifically takes place where some of the not good aligned iconics show up as a a competing team of adventurers. Uh, mm-hmm. when they are working out of the city of, of monuments. Um, and I wish I could come up with the name of it, but I can't. But oh. uh, if you go onto the online forums, I'm sure, and say, hey, which which of the comics have the evil iconics in it, someone will be able to tell you. So I really enjoyed those because I thought it was very interesting to see the the people who are perhaps not as, as goody two-shoes uh, mm. still acting like adventurers and acting like a team. That's another place where I think yeah. people can draw inspiration from. Yeah. Evil characters working as part of an adventuring party is right. a very vexed subject. Yes. But definitely interesting if you can pull it off. So this hum- this humble bundle, just to get back to that, um, so it's $276 worth of stuff, and mm-hmm. you all DRM-free, uh, you can get all of that just by paying a dollar. Wow. Um, you can pay more, and if I think on these humble bundles, if you pay more, if you pay $8, yes. you get a whole load of extra stuff. Uh, and then if you pay $15, a whole load more stuff. And I think, yeah, so $15 is the top one. Um, but the amount of stuff on here is immense. I, well, yeah, I don't. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's I a think, good time for anyone who has a first edition Pathfinder collection that is missing a thing or two. That they've yeah, been wondering, yeah. hey, do I, do I really want to pay $10 for the PDF of whatever? Uh, now's a good time to see if this fills out your collection. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And for for a dollar, you can't. It's hard to turn down, isn't it? Uh, that's going to be. That's a lot of content. That yeah, is a lot of content. High quality stuff as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, right. What else do we have? I'm just going to call up uh, Daryl's column just to see if there's any news we've missed. It's quite a. It's not a massive news week this week, actually. Oh yes, June. June, June, the RPG uh, from, well, it wouldn't be a Modifius. new segment but without Modifius, would it? <laughs> Modifius, the company that currently done. produces every single game ever written and ever to be written. <laughs> so, Dune. Um, well, I'll give you a go. Uh, so, um, our friend Andy Peregrine 
um, has been announced as the line manager um, for June over at Modifius. Nice. Well done, Andy. Yeah, um, there's a whole bunch of other writers already at work, apparently. Although, as yet, their identities are still top secret. I don't, I don't know who they are. But he's running, he's running the show over there, um, and he does say that while the core stuff is you know, currently well underway, they are definitely going to be looking for more writers for adventures and so forth a little later. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic to hear that the uh, franchise is in such a safe pair of hands. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in fact, if you go to the Modifius website, there's a place where you can click in for the Modifius jobs and, and try to justify to them why you should be one of the writers that they hire. <laughs> mm. They're also hiring a. Yeah. They're also hiring a, a finance person as well right now. I saw this ad yep. on uh, on Facebook just the other day. Mm. I guess that's just accounts and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I um, didn't. I didn't. Look, I didn't look too closely because it's um, not exactly the sort of thing that I'd want to do. But <laughs> if you are, if you are financially inclined, that might be the job for you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm guessing Dune is probably two D twenty system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not guaranteed, but most of their stuff is. Um, yeah. When uh, so- someone asked Andy uh, which system would it be using, would it be using the 2D20 system? He did say that he wasn't allowed to say yet, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't throw away any, throw away any D20s quite yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, oh, dear me. So take, that, take that how you will. And yeah. I believe this will be the first Dune RPG since the very limited run... 2001 no 2000 dune rpg from wizards yeah. of the coast yeah wow. which uh, i never actually, i never actually saw that one did you Owen? Oh. yeah so i worked at wizards of the coast at the time uh yeah. and so i got a copy um and i had some friends who were huge dune fans and it was i believe a yeah. 3000 uh print run so it was a tiny little print run and they never did a right. reprint that was part of the deal of, of it existing to begin with so i gave it to them for christmas um and then no. a few years later uh, they told me that it was selling on ebay for hundreds and hundreds of dollars and would i be offended <laughs> if they sold it uh, and they were getting married and were trying to help pay for the honeymoon and i said no i'm delighted that if you sell it and that helps pay for the honeymoon i hope you have a good time with it fair enough uh, but i did see uh, it and the art in it was gorgeous um course, i never got yeah. to play it Mm. Uh, because we were aware that it was a one-off uh, and yeah. we were doing other stuff. But it, it was a great book. It looked really, really, really good. Yeah. Well, I'm, 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 sure I'm really excited to see... Yeah, I'm really excited to see what Modifius does. In, talking of Modifius, did you see Shane's new column? No. 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 So Shane Stacks, he's, uh, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. He's a, he's a friend of the show. Uh, he's just started a column on Ian Wood, which is... a. Uh, um, we're giving it a try. Um, it's a humor slash parody, good natured, you know, positive, but humor slash parody kind of. Oh yeah, it's not, it's not being mean to anybody. He's a, but, uh, hey, hey, he's a funny guy. So yeah, he's a, he's a really nice guy. Um, so it was um, all about a company called More More Dice for Us, <laughs> which has succeeded in acquiring itself. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. It's just a, just a riff on the way that Modifius just acquires so many licenses. Like, uh, I think there's one line in there with, with uh, more dice for us announcing a new license every seven minutes. <laughs> oh, so, so, so obviously, like, it's not on press release every seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new license every seven minutes. Yeah, I mean, they are fast becoming one of the biggest, you know, RPG companies you know in in this yeah. tiny industry as it is but they're fast becoming one of the really really big big players 
Well, I, I'm glad that they're um, able to sell things. I'm glad that people are able to buy so many, such a diverse range of RPGs. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, yeah, more RPGs to better, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's really <laughs> nice that the UK industry is starting to grow significantly as well. Because it's always kind of yes. been the poorer cousin to to the US side of things. And with things well, like I mean, Cubicle maybe... 7 and Modifius and stuff like that going on, it's really, it's really nice to see it expanding. I mean, for a while, Mongoose was a, a, a huge player in the RPG That's market. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, still around, I, Mongoose, I certainly, Games Workshop is, is, is not mostly RPGs, but, but that's a, a huge powerhouse yeah, that yeah. has included RPGs. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think that might be it for the news. You don't, you're not going to talk about the Starfinder news? Uh, yes. If you've got more news, throw it in there. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, I think yesterday, Paizo announced the Starship Operations Manual. Oh, um, yes, and there's I did a, see that, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah and we... Obviously, I'm I'm still very much connected to what's going on with Starfinder, so it's going to come mm-hmm. out in 2020. Uh, yes. It's uh, designed to allow players to tailor starships to their needs. It's got mm-hmm. starship weapons and expansion bays, alternate armors, mm-hmm. ramming prows, ablative armor, re- virtual intelligences, uh, and... 40 new starships. Um, and this was one of the last projects I worked on before I left Paizo. Mm. Um, but I was only working on the beginning of it. So I sort of helped conceive it and ordered some of the projects for it. And then I walked away before all the real hard work of actually developing it started. So <laughs> that's, not, that's the uh, best way be, to do it. <laughs> conceptual work. I, I will be, yeah, I, I had an idea for a really hard project and then left. Um, so I will be fascinated to see what happens from it, but I know some of the people who worked on it, uh, and I'm really looking forward to what the, the final project comes together as. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And that's next year. Did you say? Yeah, that will be, yeah, they just said 2020 as far as I can tell, but yeah. Yeah. That's the Starship Operations Manual. Starship Operations, right. Character Operations Manual came out this month. Yes. Starship Operations Manual is next year. Oh, there's a little bit of news on Baldur's Gate 3 as well. (laughs) Um, for those who, those who like D&D video games. games. Uh, so Larian Studios, I'm just taking this off of Daryl's column, so I'm just reading this, having seen it for the first time ever. Uh, Larian Studio has announced they're opening a new studio in Malaysia um, in order to ease the rigours of development on the title. Um, the idea is to spread the work of game development across multiple time zones in order to reduce crunch for designers. Interesting. Okay, that's it. That is the news. That's, um, crunch, that's, that's that sort of... Yeah, because when um, video game designers end up working 100-hour weeks or something, don't they? Like, That's insane yeah. amounts insane amounts of overtime and stuff like that. So it looks like they're trying yeah. to take measures to try and, you know, prevent that from happening. Yeah. That's certainly an <laughs> You sound dubious. <laughs> I don't know, I don't I don't know, know anything maybe, about this. I'm not a big video game guy. Maybe hire people in Malaysia and America. I, I couldn't say. I don't know. Um, I, I, video games is not my yeah. area of expertise. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I did, it's... I, it seems like you don't have to have people in different time zones. You just have to have enough people, right? If if they're all mm. in the same time zone, but you're having the same number of people do the work, there's nothing magic about having the work happen 24-7. Yeah, <laughs> um, I guess. I mean, what, what they actually said was... Yeah. Um, here we go. So we did this for Divinity uh, Original Sin. This is uh, the CEO, um, Sven Vink. I may well... Almost certainly am pronouncing that name incorrectly. Um, it's he says, podcast tradition. It is basically what I do. I can't pronounce anybody's name. Uh, where are we? Uh, yeah, so uh, they did that with Divinity Original Sin 2. 
Uh, and what happened with he goes, this had to do with the fact that we can send the work to Canada, then I can go to sleep while the team in Canada is working further on the game, but when I wake up in the morning, a lot of the work is already done. I don't know. That's that's the reasoning. That's the reasoning given. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm, if it means that he's asking people to work fewer hours, I'm I'm not I'm not opposed to it. But you you yeah, could perfectly yeah. well do that by having have teams in the same time zone working different shifts if you wanted to. Mm. Uh, yeah. Although working night shift, I don't know that might be popular. Actually, a lot of people. Aren't yeah, so a lot of gamers are awake until five o'clock in the morning. Anyway, yes. <laughs> yeah, that is extremely true. Um, yeah, that then is is the news. We are done with the news. Peter, Peter, do you know what time it is? Um, well, I'll make it about quarter to three. <laughs> it's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just name. It is that, f- that time of the week that you wait with uh, bated breath and anticipation. Ah... <sighs> Is it time to play our favourite game in all the world? It is time to play our favourite game in all the world. Okay, um, well, what characters have you bought? Uh... <laughs> Not that favourite game. Um, oh, our favourite game. Our favourite game, game, game in all the world, the game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. Which is an and excellent then... game, because the title and the rules are all in the same thing. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm assuming you've not, you've not heard of our favourite game in all the world, Owen? Not until just now, but I, I okay. can already see this as a drinking game that causes alcohol poisoning. So, <laughs> but it's, it's eight a.m. for you, so I just stay, stay away from the alcohol for the moment. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what I'll do is I will read out the names of Kickstarters, and all you yep. need to do is guess what the Kickstarter is about, and then I will give you a highly scientific score, which I'll calculate from a, a very, very, very complex algorithm. And uh, I've got a big spreadsheet here, and <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> so we will start with Peter, so you can see how it works. So, two each sound good? Sounds amazing. Let's yeah. go. Okay, then, Great. Peter, your first one. What yeah. is the That's... islands of Sina Una? Or Sina Una? Or Sina Una? Spelling that for. S I N A U N A. Is it one word or two? Two words. The islands because of. Because that will words. help. Sina Una. Um, well, I suppose. One could think that that was like a vaguely Latin phrase, has in Sina Uno without one, uh, but it sounds more like a name. Uh, so I think this is a module to be played through. It will be most likely for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, although we can't rule out Pathfinder at this time. <laughs> and <laughs> this is my poker face, so I am giving nothing away. <laughs> Um, and let's see and I think it will have a vaguely Greek theme as well um, based on although I realise it's like sort of a Latin derivation I think there's going to be a Greek theme and I'm hoping for sort of maybe like a Circean uh, people are being messed with by an enchantress who can turn people into pigs Hmm. Um, but that, that, that last bit is just like a like just some wish fantasy there. Like, oh, go on. Maybe, maybe that will happen. So, how okay. about So, I'm going to give you a score of one 
out of 10. Because you Woo. did get the system right. It is for D&D for the Yay. day. Everything else. Completely yeah. wrong. <laughs> um, so okay. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's from the Philippines. It's uh, inspired oh, by Filipino mythos. And it's a campaign setting for D&D 5th edition. Nice. Uh, uh, this one's on Indiegogo. It's not on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and that like, explains why you got it all wrong. Yeah, that, 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 that yeah. will be the reason. That, that's why. <laughs> uh, it's got new player options, monsters, and a world setting. Explore the seven aisles in a brand new campaign setting for 5e, including options for players in-game, terrifying monsters to encounter, and a world rich with stories and tradition. Uh, certainly from the very, very little I know of Filipino mythology, that definitely sounds like one to pick up. Um, when does the Kickstarter finish? The Kickstarter finishes on Thursday, December the 5th. And okay, you can pick so up a PDF for $20. Fantastic. Yeah, okay. Well, I think, I think my uh, wallet's going to take a bit of a hit at some point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Owen, are you ready? I am ready. Yeah. Are you ready? Oh, he's, okay. he's set the bar at one out of ten, so I'm very comfortable. <laughs> yeah. What is Lightning War? Okay. So that's that feels like it's either going to be uh, Tesla guns against the Martians or Ragnarok. Um, because I am a big fan of of Lightning Guns and Martians, I'm going to say that that is a diesel punk setting uh, that that grabs World War One or World War Two or the interwar period and updates it with retro tech, uh, including lightning guns and, and ether flyers and and uh, similar similar devices. So uh, probably with some sort of fantasy element thrown in. What system is it? Uh, lacking any better suggestions, I'll say it's for 5e. Okay. Not bad. Not bad at all. It is set in World War Two in a fantasy world. There we go. There we it's are. It's called Blitzkrieg. Like yeah. war. Right. Uh, yeah. so, it's, so, well, it's a high fantasy world's version of World War II. Gotcha. Um, and it combines the freedom and fast gameplay of a rules-like RPG with a tightly designed combat system and mission-based game se- uh, sessions. Um, the world of Lightning War is a place of powerful magic, whimsical spirits, and dangerous monsters uh, perpetually threatened by a reinc- reincarnating Dark Lord. Uh, you play everyday people from the allied powers and you're fighting against the apex powers. So I got everything except the game system. Yeah, pretty much. It's an original Great. system is the, uh, is, is the only thing you got wrong there. So I think you've probably scored a thousand points out of ten, which gives you, go. I believe, a thousand and two versus Peter's... thousand and two points, yeah. Versus Peter's three points, I think, is it? Yeah, something yeah. like that. I, I, I think that's jolly well, that. That's a safe 999 point lead. Yeah, I well, 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 quite frankly, if Owen Stevens can't come on and get 999 points, then, <laughs> then who I don't can? know who can, mate. I don't know who can. <laughs> so I think, I think we can right, declare, right, we, right, we can right, declare right, Owen right. the winner of this week's favourite game in all the world. Good stuff. Woo. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Captain! The Starship Enterprise, her ongoing mission. Captain! What is it, Spock? Can't you see I'm busy? Right. These are the voyages of... Captain! This is urgent. Spock, I'm doing the opening voiceover. Can't it wait? Now, these are the voyages of the starship... Captain! 
We are in the middle of a warp core breach. At the beginning of the episode? I don't think so. Now, where was I? These are the voyages. <laughs> yes, Captain. The antimatter containment field has been disrupted. The core has been breached, and the ship's destruction is imminent. Don't be silly. If the ship were going to explode, we'd have at least 39 minutes to save it. Standard episode structure. Now, let me get on with the voiceover. These are... Captain! The Dilithium containment field does not care about episode structure. It has failed. The engines are about to explode. I've sounded the red alert and ordered all crew to evacuate. Let me finish this voiceover. Then the main cast can have a little huddle in the conference room and we'll figure out a plan. So, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Her ongoing... Decks 11 through 18 are evacuated. Engineering, you need to get out of there. You can't contain it any longer. Bridge crew, report to the escape pods. Keep it down. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out... Decks 2 through 17 clear. Comms, radio Starfleet and report the destruction of the Enterprise. Captain, we need to get to the escape pods now. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go Sir, where... it's just you left. I'm headed to the escape pods. You only have seconds to live. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Stardate 59674. It is my sad duty to report the loss of the USS Enterprise and the death of its commanding officer, Captain James T. Kirk, who stuck to his duty to read out the opening voiceover to the very end. Okay, so, Owen, 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 it's really, it's really hard to know where to start with you, to be honest, because you've done so <laughs> much stuff over the last, what, two or three decades? Uh, 20 month of month of years. Yeah, I mean, you start, you started, um, you've, in fact, you've been writing about it recently in a column on my site, uh, about how you started yeah. uh, by sending pictures to Dragon Magazine. And that uh, was the, your... the initial goal was just to make enough money to be able to subscribe to a Dragon Magazine subscription. That that was yeah. all I was originally trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then things got horribly out of hand. Yeah, I mean, who, who are the companies? That, how many companies have you worked for over the? Over, I mean, how many have you been employed by as opposed to just doing freelance? Yeah. Um, so for employed by, uh, there's Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. Um, I would argue my long term contracts with Green Ronin. Uh, it's not the same as being a. a full-time employee, but I would, I would say that's employed sure. by, uh, yeah. Paizo. I was a regular columnist for, uh, Steve Jackson games. Uh, I was, I am currently a producer for Wright. I am currently one of the owners of rogue genius. Uh, and previously I was one of the owners of super genius. And I think mm. that's it for regular, not just freelance gigs. Mm. So I um, think just the six or seven I mentioned. And then when you when you when you when you talk about sort of long term freelance gigs, you're currently uh, fantasy age lead developer. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I'm currently the fantasy age developer for Green Running. Right. And you were one of the leads on Starfinder. Yeah, I helped create the Starfinder role playing game, and I was on staff full time at Paizo for the yeah. past five years until this past summer. Yeah. Out of curiosity, how how did Starfinder come about? How far back does it go? Sort of in the in the in the in the, in, in the initial whisperings in uh, secret meetings in the depths of Paizo uh, HQ. So it's interesting because the the first secret meetings uh, I was not privy to. Um, so there, it was very clear that something had to be done. 
for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. First of all, Pathfinder 2nd Edition was coming along. Mm -hmm. And Pathfinder 2nd Edition was going to require the Pathfinder design team to dedicate time to create it. That meant that they would not be creating the hardback books that that Paizo released on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So something had to distract people <laughs> uh, uh, and something had to be bringing money in the coffers. Uh, uh, and Paizo was of the opinion that it was a good time to branch out into a new IP. Um, mm. You know, it, it's not true that everything they did was just Pathfinder related and they've done other things. They, I mean, they originally had the magazines uh, and Star Wars Gamer way back when. Um, and they had the card game that was going pretty well. Uh, the fiction line had, had, at least temporarily been suspended. So it was time for a, a new line of business. You want to have more than one arrow in your quiver in that regard. Mm, um, absolutely. Yeah. And Paizo had always had a very strong pulp fantasy sci-fi mix feeling, right? Pathfinder had, had had the crash starship adventure mm. uh, and their androids running around their fantasy setting. And, and they had released the technology guide and the technology guide for Pathfinder had been really, really, really successful. So, um, you take all those elements, and it it seems like the thing to do is to create a science fantasy game. But then you have the question of, what are we doing? Are we just releasing a hardback for Pathfinder 1st Edition, which we know we are going to be walking away from soon? Mm. Uh, or do we create a whole new game from scratch that, that doesn't borrow from any of the elements of the things that have been extremely popular? Um, and as I said, I was not part of those very first conversations, but pretty much as soon as what was decided was we are going to do a game that is separate from Pathfinder so it can mm -hmm. survive on its own um, and so that it can be the best game for the elements we want to put into it. The technology guide is one of the things that had really driven home that adding lasers to Pathfinder just as Pathfinder is uh, was a kind of tricky complicated yeah. issue and that there were some science fiction themes that just mm -hmm. didn't work as well in Pathfinder as what we wanted them to work for a game we were doing. Right. So that decision got made. Uh, and at that time it was pretty much uh, the design team was, mm -hmm. was splitting their time between helping with that and working on second edition. And James Sutter had been decided to be the creative director and Robin Curry was brought on board. Um, and it was pretty much at that point that I was the next person they turned to, largely because I, I had worked on D20 Gamma World and D20 Star Wars for a long time and mm. Pathfinder 3035 4th Edition. I think the Starfinder Core Rulebook was my either 8th or ninth D20 Core Rulebook that was a, a slightly different version of the game. So I'd worked on EverQuest and I'd worked on Black Company and I'd worked on Thieves World. So I had a lot of experience that helped bridge uh, what... Sutter and McCurry wanted to do um, because they just hadn't done but the one game system, really, both mm. of them, uh, as far as creating it. They had experience playing a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and what the design team was doing, because we could only have the design team for part of that design time because they needed to move on and work on second edition. So that was pretty early days. And we honestly, once we knew roughly what we were doing and we had a, a very rough idea of what the game mechanics were going to be like, uh, the next thing we did was try to pin down some details on the setting. Things like we're going to have the gap and we're going to have uh, hyperspace travel in the form of the drift. Mm. Uh, and that magic can't get you into the drift. So there must be a technological engine bringing you there. Um, at the same time, uh, while it's not a rule in the game, as of yet, we have not had any technology that allows you to teleport. We don't have Star Trek transporters, for example. So try to rough out 
what is this universe going to be like? Roughly how far in the future do we think it is? What does the political situation look like? Um, we tackled that next so that we would have an idea of what we were designing towards. And that was, that was the stage at which I was brought on is when we were trying to pin these things down. Hmm. So how about the decision, the, uh, cause it's set in the same universe as Galarian. It's a advancement yep. of that, that setting, but advancing yep. out into, into space. What was, do you know what the sort of decision-making process behind whether to do that or to make an entirely separate thing on its own? Yeah, I mean, it, while it was discussed, uh, I don't think there was ever any chance that it was not going to be set in the same universe as Golarian, mm. right? Golarian already had, we we had uh, the Great Beyond book that already talked about the solar system that Golarian is in. Yeah. Uh, and we very firmly wanted to do a science fantasy setting. Um, we were of the opinion that straight sci-fi was more restrictive than we wanted for a role-playing game. And we already had a huge fan base that knew what the planes are and knew who the gods are and know how magic works and know what an elf is. Um, so it just didn't make sense to do anything other than say, okay, we're going to take Galarian and we're going to put baby in the corner mm. so that uh, people won't be constantly trying to look up what happened to Cheliax 500 years after the current campaign sure. setting. Yeah. Because <laughs> we didn't want to turn Pathfinder into a prequel where everyone knows what happens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We wanted all those stories to, to be free and independent and, and be able to, to do whatever they needed to do without us ever restricting them. Mm. But after we did that, uh, and we created Absalom Station to replace it, everything else was what is, from our point of view, one natural extension of the history of the universe we've already described uh, in rough detail. And, of course, what is interesting to do with the setting. Um, like in Pathfinder, drow are not well-known on the surface, right? Mm. Just part of the Golarian setting is that most people don't know drow exist. Uh, because that is that trope, we wanted to do something very different with them in Starfinder and say, yes, they're a drow, they control a planet, they're arms dealers, uh, they're part of the Pact world, they've got legal recognition, and elves aren't happy about it, so that we are telling a different set of stories that have evolved out of that same setting. Uh, that also meant that since you can't put out 50 books all at once... We can mention, here are our core 20 gods, these are what they're like, but we know that if someone really, really wants to, okay, there's all of this information about what the gods of the setting are, mm. and you can go back to those and borrow them at any time, so that the material you already have still has utility as far as storyline and plot and world building goes. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. You mentioned you, you sort of got this gig partly because um, you'd worked on Star Wars D20. I mean, that's going back about 20, yeah. 20 years now, isn't it? But what's, what's the experience of working on something like that? Because in that case, you're dealing with a massive, massive IP holder as a, as a, as a licensor. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the biggest thing about Star Wars uh, was that there was a, a moving target of continuity. Um, when I was working in the Star Wars role-playing game, uh, it was after uh, Phantom Menace came out. Uh, yeah. and oh, initially, this, is long, this is long pre-Disney, isn't it? Long, long... Right, yeah. yes. This yeah. is Before this Attack is a decade, right. Yeah. Uh, and so I started before Attack of the Clones, then Attack of the Clones oh. came out while we were working on it. So, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> right, so not the first book, but like the, the revised core rulebook came out uh, as Attack of the Clones was being developed. And mm. other people, I, I, I was only actually at Wizards of the Coast for 14 months and I was freelancing for Star Wars after that. Um, so some of the people that were still working there went down to the Skywalker Ranch and they got to see 
uh, pictures and and plot points from Attack of the Clones to try and match it. But at the same oh, time, it's a hard life, isn't uh, it? The, the Yuzhan Vong storyline was coming out at that time. Del Rey was doing all their essential books at that time. There were Star Wars comics coming out. So one of the things you had to deal with was uh, there would be continuity. You, you, there was literally a, a, a CD called the Jedi Holocron that has all the information about everything in Star Wars that only one person on the team was allowed to have. And mm-hmm. if you had a question, you brought it to him, he did a search, gave you the answer, but you're not allowed to just look through this thing. Um, it's considered yeah. too, too crucial and important. And so I was writing up uh, Mantellian Savrips, which are one of the creatures uh, from the, the Hollow Chess board game. Mm. And we looked okay. that up, and I wrote them up, and I sent it off, and they had made it very, very clear in that in that description that while they are wearing clothing, because we know that from the, the Hollow Chess, mm. they are not sapient creatures. They, they, are, they are dumb animals. Uh, and so I wrote this complicated storyline where, you know, they, they are sometimes adopted by villages and the villagers will, will dress them up as guardians right. and give them clothes. And that's why we've got this non-sapient race wearing clothes. Uh-huh. However, at the same time I was doing that, the comic books had decided to do a plot line that I didn't get to see yet to reveal that everyone thought they were dumb brutes, but they were in <laughs> fact sentient sapient creatures. So we send oh. this thing in for approvals and we're told, no, you've got to match the continuity of this comic book and this essentials entry, which we haven't gotten to see yet. Uh, So we, we literally have to take their notes and rewrite it as our best guess from what they're telling us. We need to adjust it as, um, and send that back in and, and see if they approve it or not. So that's what made star Wars tricky. Uh, as opposed to other continuity things. Like when we were working on thieves world for green Ronin, uh, Lynn Abbey was part of the team working on Thieves World. Mm. So if you had a question about how something worked, you'd just rip off an email to Lynn Abbey, and she'd be like, that's a really great question. Let's think about it. There aren't a lot of just monsters in the Thieves World novels, and at one point I wanted some monsters for an adventure I was writing, and I'm like, these are the monsters I'm thinking of. What do you think? And she would literally get in there and and hash these things out. She helped us come up with pantheons. So that was a place where the continuity was much easier to access. So for Starfinder, we had a ton of continuity, and we would frequently go poke Mark Morland or James Jacobs, or for that matter, Sutter, uh, and Rob McCurry knew a lot of it. Um, And we would make sure that the the stakeholders were okay with whatever we were doing, right? Mm. Like if we say there are drow in the far future, that means that we shouldn't have a plot line in Pathfinder where all the drow are killed off. So we wanted to make sure, you know, we're not blowing up the moon uh, in some regard, but it was easy because we were in charge of the continuity. We made those decisions so we could get everyone in a room and say, Hey, we have to decide what are we doing with this God, this goddess, whatever. Mm. Um, as opposed to having to make our best guess, send it off to another company, cross yeah. our fingers and see if they approve it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I imagine like probably um, dealing with Lucasfilm is probably very, very different too. Cause I know uh, green Ronin deal with um, uh, the authors of the expanse. And from the impression, uh-huh. I, the impression I get from what I've seen is that it's, it's a very sort of personable, immediate um, interaction. Like they can shoot off an email yeah, and get I an mean, email back, and you know it's all very, you know, yeah. in person as opposed to dealing through multiple layers of, of of company executives. Well, yeah, I mean, some of it is just how many people are involved, right? The the Corys 
are are in charge of the books and that is specifically licensed for the books so we don't have to worry about the show yeah, right yeah, the show yeah. is being adapted from the books mm-hmm. but we don't need their permission to do something because we are working directly from the novel um mm-hmm. when you're talking about lucasfilm you're talking about a massive empire uh the people you're dealing with are themselves probably not familiar with what a role-playing game is yes. at least not yeah, exactly. from direct experience and they're juggling 20 licenses right so they don't want our efforts to describe something to shut down what the Kenner toys were doing or what the lunchbox is going to be yeah, exactly. or yeah. the, the whole Yuzhan Vong invasion was a huge press at the time that we were doing this. And, and so they're trying to keep everything in this, this united continuity. Although back then we had the grades of continuity and we were way down near the bottom, mm-hmm. but everyone who was there, uh, you, you had to, to try and mesh things together to the best of my knowledge of all the things I worked on, uh, only one was ever looked at by Lucas himself. Um, mm-hmm. just before I left, I was working on, uh, power of the Jedi. And one of the things I was tasked with doing was writing the history of the force in the power of the Jedi, uh, source book. And that is the one thing where I, you know, I delved into everything I could find about the history and what had been suggested, wrote it all out. Uh, and it came back with notes from George Lucas. So wow. that's the one time where I know that this thing I wrote George Lucas looked at, scrawled a few things in pen on. Have you uh, have you sa- have you saved that? That's the sort I of didn't thing. Get I, to keep it. Oh I, no, I was given a photocopy. Um, I literally was not allowed to hold on to the paper that he had touched. I presume for fear that I would sell it on eBay. Uh, so I was given a photocopy, and it was one of the things I had to turn over when I left the company. Oh, oh. But I, I mean, my, I'd, my, I'd have been tempted to accidentally lose that. I think. Uh, well, sure, but then I could have gotten in trouble if oh, yeah. I did anything with it later. Um, it, it was interesting because when I was doing stuff freelance, uh, my agreement with Lucasfilm was longer than my actual contract with Wizards of the Coast. So you would get a, a three or four page Wizards of the Coast contract saying, hey, this is work for hire. This is the due date. This is the word count. And then like 20 pages of things that I have to initial and agree for for Lucasfilm hmm. about what I will and won't do and will and won't reveal. And at the time, we were working on stuff while movies were getting made. So I understood that, yeah. you know, if if one of us was given information about stuff that was a spoiler, they absolutely oh. did not want that getting out. Yeah, 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 true. I, like, I knew what the title of Attack of the Clones was before it got announced. Mm. Uh, and yeah. that was one of the things that was very, very, very important that I not feel like I'm going to get clever and, and boost my internet reputation by saying, hey, yeah. turns out the next movie is called... I think I remember talking to someone at Cubicle Not Seven. I can't remember who it is, but they're talking about the uh, license they had for Doctor Who with the BBC, with the BBC, um, and mm-hmm. what they were allowed to do. They were allowed to send one person to the BBC uh-huh. who were allowed into a room with a copy of the scripts, uh-huh. which they were allowed to read, but not take with them or make notes. <laughs> So, you know, they sit there, this document, they read the scripts, then they leave, and basically it's what they can remember when they get get back to the office. So the secrecy (laughs) around this sort of stuff is insane. So you need to temper a very good memory. I think that could be like a job opening in the future for this sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you can read and remember with like really excellent detail. Yeah. Well, sure. there are people that are just really, really good at that. One of the things I learned when working at Paizo was that if I had a continuity question, I could go to Mark Morland, and chances were he could 
he could tell me at least roughly what book I was looking for, for mm. the reference of which oh, town happened to have both a witch warper and an android in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if I wanted a rules element, uh, I, I could go to a few people that just, just Mark Seifter, for example, would, would be uh, able to, if I said, have we ever had an archetype that does this? He could just yeah, go, yeah, uh, yeah, that was in uh, Ultimate Intrigue. It's it's page yeah. 42. Um, I, 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 I have a rough feel I for these things. I used to be able to do that, but these days, I, yeah. I don't know if my brain has changed or something. I don't know what, don't know, <laughs> but I, I can't do that with anything anymore. Well, it's practice, isn't it? Like, if you're doing well, if that you, sort of thing well, I can, every day... I can answer obscure Star Wars questions from, you know, from the 1980s, but I can't answer, <laughs> you know, detailed questions about something that came out last year. Well, yeah. your, your brain's full, is what happens is that, for us that here. All that Star Wars information <laughs> is still in there. Yeah. Um, but, as someone who's worked on a lot of licensed RPGs, one of the things I've discovered is that the, the growth of the fan wiki has been so helpful as starting points in research. Yeah. When I was first freelancing for Wizards of the Coast, there was no Wikipedia. So I had I had a guide to the Star Wars universe and the essential books and the West End game books just piled up and I had to go sorting through them. And mm -hmm. now if I want to look up something, I can enter a term in Wikipedia and read the article and then it has a list of references. So that I can say, okay, I'm going to look specifically here and make sure that, that this is in fact useful. what it says. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 So, uh, so after... Um, after you'd been at Wizard of the Coast for 14 months, you said, um, was it then you yeah. went you went to Paizo straight away? Was there a, a freelancing gap and then you moved to Paizo? Uh, there was a 13-year gap. A 13-year gap, was, okay. Uh, yes, before I... Um, so uh, when I got laid off from Wizards of the Coast, uh, my wife and I decided that we should move back to my hometown of Norman, Oklahoma, because yeah. it's cheap. And Seattle yeah. is not. And I was going to try and survive as a freelancer. Right. And just to complicate things, uh, when I told my mother I'd gotten laid off, she was like, well, we weren't going to tell you, but your grandmother has decided to go to a nursing home. And as a result, we are looking for someone to sit in her house for the next year or two rent free. So if you come home, we're looking for someone to sit in this free place to live for a couple of years. Mm. And that was just too good an offer uh, not to take up what I'm I, – I, I had not – been paying all the bills as a freelance writer sure. for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and my wife wanted to finish college, which we put on hold. So that would not, oh. she would not be doing a full-time job for a little bit. So it was just too good an offer. Um, and then I freelance yeah, wrote, taking a major expense. I freelance out, yeah. wrote from 2001 to mm -hmm. 2014, which mm -hmm. is when Paizo hired me. I did a lot of writing for Paizo um, mm -hmm. because I started with the, the dragon and dungeon magazine. Yeah. Um, and they, and for that matter, Star Wars Gamer, and they were spun off from the magazines at Wizards of the Coast, so I already knew a lot of those people. I mean, I, I was around when someone shouted out, who the hell is Eric Mona, right? So uh, I, I knew these people, and that gave me a connection, and I was visiting yeah. them at conventions. Um, I wrote the Guide to Absalom before Paizo is a, a or before Pathfinder is a game existed, mm -hmm. but Galarian as a setting existed. So I did tons and tons and tons of freelance for them. And I applied for jobs. I applied for the job Adam Daigle got. Uh, I applied for the job Rob McCreary got. But those were cases where when Paizo was looking at the business case, they're like, okay, who do we want? How much do we want to pay them? How much experience do we want for them? What are they experts at? I just wasn't the best fit. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 2014, they finally decided, okay, Owen is for this job the best fit. And that's when I actually came on on staff. It's mm -hmm. funny because there are people who were hired 
weeks after I was, mm-hmm. who when they showed up, they were like, well, you've been here for years, right? N- no, no, I'm I'm not done putting mugs on my desk. I just got yeah. here. But my name had shown, you know, it's it's in the yeah, Advanced that Players was, that Guide. That was my sense. I've been there before. We're just Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Nope, that was all full-time freelance. So what was that first job at Paizo? The first, oh, uh, the first freelance job at Paizo? No, or no, the no, first no, no, the first actual, actual. Okay. Uh, they they hired me to be the Pathfinder modules developer. Right. Um, and nice. you, you you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't remember Owen's name on a lot of Pathfinder modules. One. I developed one module for them after showing up. Okay. It was the okay. most complicated module that they had ever attempted. Uh, it was right. p- Plunder and Peril. And uh-huh. that module was a adventure from beginning to end that stood right. by itself. It was also three separate adventures that you could play any one of or any two of without playing all three. Mm. It also was the tie-in to the uh, card game for Skull and Shackles, and it had to perfectly replace the second AP in the Skull and Shackles AP. So there were four things that it had to do, and this was my very first module development job for them, and I... I, I used to have more hair. I tore my hair out doing that <laughs> nothing, job. Nothing like um, being thrown in at the deep end. <laughs> well, and and when I showed up, it was already late because game companies don't hire people until a project is so horribly late that it is clear they have to have new staff, which means when you hire new staff, you will automatically put them on a project that's already horribly yes. late. Um, the, the joke at Green Ronin has already always been – Welcome to Green Ronin. Hope you enjoy your first day. Your project's already behind deadline. <laughs> um, and that's that's just the way it goes. So yeah. I, I did successfully develop that adventure, um, but I was trying to learn the Paizo way of doing things, uh, and I didn't have as much developer experience at the time. I'd been a writer and designer more mm. than anything, and I didn't have as much adventure experience, which is one of the reasons I wanted the job. I wanted to build my developer and, and adventure skill sets yes. um, because I'd been asked by Eric Mona, hey, we're hiring a developer and a designer if we gave you your choice, which would you prefer? And I said developer. Um, I said that for two reasons. One, I knew the developer job was coming up first, so I figured I'll say developer, and then if I don't get it, I can tell them, no, 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 designer, designer. Mm. Um, But also because I thought those are some of the best developers in the world. I want to spend time with these people and learn from them. And I learned a lot doing that module, but then they needed help with the player companion line. Uh, and so I moved over to work on it, and it was just a much better fit for my skill set, developing the players. So, so just, jump, so just uh, jumping in there, you, you mentioned developers and designers. Yeah. Uh, just for those listeners that aren't quite so familiar with the lingo we use, what, what would, what's the difference between a developer and a designer? So that difference varies by company, um, and I will say that anyone who wants to can go to my blog, owenkcstevens.com, and do a, a search for developer, designer, and I've got a whole blog post mm. called, I think, Which the What Now? Um, but at Paizo... <laughs> Uh, a yeah. designer's job is to create rules-focused or connected content from scratch. So, for example, if you're saying, okay, we are going to do uh, Ultimate Longsword, if that was a product, yeah. and we're going to have new weapons and Longsword-focused character classes and Longsword-focused spells, uh, a designer is primarily the person who sits down and says, okay, these are the rules we're developing from the beginning. Here are the subsystems. Here's how it's balanced. A developer's job is to take material that has already been written and bring it up to Paizo standards and make sure it has a unified voice and continuity. So it's like a level of technical RPG editing. Mm. We have separate editors who are also excellent at, at that kind of things, but their concern is more clarity, 
uh, and consistency with the house style rather than a, a unified voice and sure. making sure that yeah. it fits continuity. Yeah. yeah. So okay. a lot of designers have to do development work. So like yeah. if, if we pass over uh, freelance archetypes for a book, the designers are the ones that are going to take an initial pass on that. A lot of developers do design work. So the, the roles, both those roles are like 60% of one thing and 40% of the yeah, other. Yeah. But at the core, the difference is one is a skill set about creating something from scratch and the other is a skill set about taking something that exists and turning it into the finished, polished, perfect product we want. Mm. Developing, yeah. as it were. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you mentioned a little earlier about learning the sort of Paizo way of doing things. What, how, how would you say that differs from the, the Wizards of the Coast? Obviously, the Wizards of the Coast has probably changed a lot since you left, but uh, the Wizards of the Coast yeah, way of I'm doing sure things. Yeah, I'm sure they have us. Um, so Wizards of the Coast was a very siloed process when I worked there. There was uh, the the concept team who would come up with what the product's going to be mm-hmm. and the person who ends up writing it may not even be in that meeting. Right. And then once it's been decided what are we doing, then there is the writing team or the development team, depending on when you, you catch us, and they're mm. going to do all the writing. Then it goes over to the editing team who only calls you over if there's something that is very unclear to them. Mm. Otherwise, they just edit it, and you don't even know what it looks like till they're done. Right. Uh, the art team decides on the art and layout really without having conversations with much of anybody else. Uh, and then it goes to marketing, and the marketing team decides how to market it, and those are all separate jobs. Sure. At Paizo, everything is much more interconnected. So one of the things the developer is at Paizo for a given line is the expert on where that project is. So I would write pitches of what I thought for the player companion line, for example. Here's other things I think should be player companions. Here are the names I'm suggesting. Mm -hmm. Those would then get approved. They would come back to me and I would write outlines. Then the outlines would go back and be approved. I would write art orders and I would send them to the art team and the art team would say, you know, this is the format. This is how many pieces you need. Here's your budget. And they would change anything and, and come back to me if there was an issue. But the point is that I would do that initial work of where it puts together. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, layout team at Paizo, I don't know if you've noticed, but every Paizo game product ends on a right – every section ends on a right-hand page at the bottom of the page. There's no gap at the end of a chapter. Yeah. Um, you never uh, – the, and and if it's if it's a topic that covers two pages, it covers exactly two pages. And when you turn the pages, a new topic. Um, yeah. We do our best to write the text and develop the text to hit those numbers based on the number of words we know goes on a page. But sometimes it's over or under by a little bit. So part of the process is it gets laid out, it gets edited at, at more than once. There are three passes. One is, is frequently in layout, but then it comes back to us and they say, "Look, this needs to be a little longer or a little shorter." Mm-hmm. You as the developer are the person that knows where can we use some more words, where do we take away some words. Then it goes back to layout for polish. Then it goes back through editing. Um, during that time, I'm writing the back cover text, the marketing descriptions, and those things. Um, so there's a much more interconnected dependent cycle at Paizo. Mm. They also had a somewhat different uh, sensibility. Um, yeah. With at, When I was at Star Wars, right – Star Wars can be goofy, but what we were doing couldn't. The role-playing game had to be quite serious, I think, because yeah. they felt a role-playing game is already pretty goofy, and they don't yeah. they didn't trust us to be the people to brush the edges of that. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. <laughs> uh, yes, we will. At Paizo, different lines have different levels of seriousness that you can get into. So you can you can have something that that feels a little odd, uh, but there are tools in the game that we put there for for GMs and players to use to create a game different from 
what Paizo sees as their core game. So, like, in I had the adventure where you were at one point attacked by a whole bunch of Leshy, um, and Wes Schneider pulled me into his office, and he's like, so, these are game mechanically fine, the numbers are fine, but this is a goofy encounter where you're fighting a whole <laughs> bunch of ankle-high things, and it's not going to feel heroic, um, and it's just going to be a little silly, and that's 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 a feel thing, where yes. I had to learn where where were those lines, yeah, and you know, what, yeah. what was the sensibility, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you have do you have a, a, a preference of your sort of preferred way to work? Do you prefer that interconnectedness way of doing it, or do you like having your job and just focusing on that one thing? Um, I think <laughs> I think you get a better product overall with the interconnected system. Mm. Um, mm. And I think you know at the time I worked at Wizards of the Coast, there was a fifty-five person RPG R and D team, something yeah. huge like that, as opposed to like the eight they have now, um, and. I think Paizo now has the largest in-house RPG design and development team probably in the world. I would think um, that's probably true, yeah. It seems likely. Yeah. So I think that system is kind of necessary for them in a yeah. way uh, to make sure that everything remains consistent and together. And I think there's a reason that a lot of people say the thing I love most about Paizo are the adventures, mm. right? There, there's mm. w- Even when you're working on rules systems, one of the pe- things people ask at Paizo because you've got this interconnectedness is how will this be useful in an adventure? How does this tool help us tell stories? Mm. When we were working on Starfinder, um, we had decided we were only going to have six levels of spell casting, but immediately uh, both Sutter and Mercury were saying, well, we have to put the wish spell in there somewhere. Mm. Not because we expect players to use wish a lot, but yeah. because frequently you want to tell a story where the simplest yeah. way to do the story is someone made a wish and this happened yes. and it caused a problem and now you're going to fix it. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we when you've got a designer sitting in on every discussion and we've got a lot of brainstorming where people are getting together and having those conversations, uh, you have a lot of sensibilities and aesthetics being brought early on in the planning stage. And mm. I think that's very helpful. It's also a little more chaotic and a lot more work. Right. Uh, so there, there was an advantage to being able to say, I have done this project, I ship it off, and I don't touch it again. Right, yeah. It's yeah. gone, yeah. which is the coast, right? I, I might get some notes or some questions, but basically that is now off my plate. Mm-hmm. At Paizo, I can look at my schedule, and my schedule could have said, hey, you're working on the Critical Fumble deck. Well, okay, these are the two weeks that I'm writing the Critical Fumble deck. During that time, I also have to be writing a blog post for the next project, or the yeah. project that I finished three months ago, and copy okay. fitting is coming back to get those pages, and editing has questions on something I did a while ago. Also, we have to outline the thing that I'm sending out to freelancers in two weeks. So it may say this is what I'm doing for this two-week block. Yeah. But that is, at any given time, yeah. sometimes only a half or maybe yeah. a third of what I'm actually yeah, doing. It sounds like a project week. isn't off your plate until it actually gets published. Well, even then, you've got blog yeah. posts and, yeah. and answering forums and bright... I mean, yeah. you know... Th- there are they're doing uh, uh, streams about com right now, mm. and com's published. It's in people's hands, but they still have to go back. I don't anymore. Yeah. I'm out of there. Character operations um, manual. Yeah, yeah. Character oh. operations manual. Com. Uh, they have yeah. to go back and make sure they they are up to date enough on that, which they haven't had to look at for six months. Yeah, so they can get on a stream and say, yeah. "Oh, this is my favorite part of this book, and this is why we did this, and this is how these things are interconnected." Mm. When they're worrying about the Starship Operations Manual, or even mm. more likely at this point they're worrying about a book i don't even know about because they came up with it in the past three months and that's the one that's off to freelancers and being written yeah so should we talk a bit about what you're doing at the moment owen um yeah yeah. i've noticed you've got you've mentioned uh, you've announced 
um, three different things recently. One is uh, Fantasy Age, which you've become uh, uh, what, the lead developer yeah. on. Uh, one is you've just become a co-host of is it one of the No Direction podcasts, the Starfinder. Yep, No Direction Beyond, yep. Starfinder. Uh, no, no Direction to Beyond, yep. And, and the third thing, of course, is uh, you're doing something called 52 in 52. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> you say that with a resigned voice. <laughs> well, so... Imposter syndrome is a huge part of the game industry. Oh, tell me about it, yeah. And part of imposter syndrome uh, is looking at the things you have done in the past and saying to yourself, well, I couldn't possibly do that again. Mm. That's that. There was a rare set of circumstances that... that co- so as a result, especially when you're an independent creative as opposed to part of a big company, people are frequently afraid to make bold moves mm-hmm. um, because they're just literally afraid. The, the idea that, that you're saying... Hey, just a base idea. Hey, I have an idea and I'm going to write it down and it's so valuable. I want people to give me money for it. Um, it's, it's an act of arrogance and it's, we know that and it makes us nervous or at least a lot of us, not everybody. Um, but, uh, I think bold moves are frequently the things that get people's attention. And again, as an independent creative, getting people's attention is an important part of, of success. Mm. So, uh, I have launched a program I'm calling 52 and 52, which is going to offer a product a week every week for the year of 2020. So that'll be 52 products over 52 weeks. Uh, It is a a program, so you buy in for all 52, uh, and we will not be releasing them individually until 2021 at the earliest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when we do, everything will be at least roughly a year after it was available in the 52 and 52 program. And each of those products will be released in four versions, and everyone that buys in will get all four versions for four different game systems. Uh, 5e, First edition Pathfinder, second edition Pathfinder, and Starfinder. Okay. So it's going to be a grand total of 208 products uh, over the course of a year. That's an epic task. How, how long, how long is each of these products? Uh, it varies, um, and we've got a catalog out uh, that we'll talk about that a little bit. It's a free teaser catalog mm-hmm. that you can look at. It's, uh, you can get all the stuff on uh, the Open Gaming Store. It's the only place we're currently doing the pre-order, and it's the only place we're going to be doing the uh, program for 2020. Uh, we'll probably put these all up everywhere in 2021. Um, okay. So uh, some will just be five or six pages, but there will be one longer one every month. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll have mm-hmm. several theme-connected, shorter yeah. products, then a longer one each month, uh, and some of those longer ones will be 16 pages some will be more like 32 uh because i'm doing this for four different game systems i'm not currently giving hard page counts on them because sure. it might well be that the fifth edition D one is 17 pages and the second edition pathfinder one is 19 pages because that's what we need for the same content mm. uh for those different there's games definitely systems. a stat block yeah. size differential between first edition yeah, pathfinder and fifth edition isn't there but, so what's, what sort of um, products are we talking? We're we talking sort of like small supplements, adventures, encounters? So we are doing uh, a bunch of stuff that we're calling campaign guides. So, for example, we're going to have a Magic Girl campaign guide mm-hmm. that if what you want is to run a campaign that is inspired by and drawn off of the Magic Girl genre, mm-hmm. uh, we've got everything you need to do that in this book. Um, we have another one of those called uh, TSM, which stands for Teens Solving Mysteries. So if what you want is a a group of, of scrappy darn kids that are delving into things and solving the the unusual, whether that's a, a guy in a rubber mask or if there's an actual haunting. Um, but we're also doing stuff that are subsystems. We're going to have a system for adding mecha to all of these games, uh, both as individual mecha if I want my character to be the Iron Man or the Gundam character. Mm. 
but also if you want to do a campaign where everyone is running around in Mecha, those will both be supported. Uh, we're having Into the Breach, which is a mass combat system. Uh, we've got So You Bought a Tavern, which are simple and fun rules for PC-owned businesses mm-hmm. that will be part of the game rather than taking over the game. Um, but we're also doing things like new classes. Uh, we're doing a Runecaster. We're doing a Eld Mage. We're doing an Artificer, which is, I think, the most requested thing. When I was asking people, "Hey, mm. if I could, if you could get me to write anything for any of these game systems, what would you want to see?" Mm. The most requested thing was an, an Artificer class for all those systems. Okay, um, hopefully, you'd be a bit better received than the uh, Everon one. It's... Well, well, we shall see. Uh, but that's <laughs> the hope. See. That's the idea, right? Uh, yeah. And I'll I'll look at what people have done and and what how those were received and what the the faults and advantages were and and what people wanted that they weren't getting. Uh, I think the artificer in particular is going to have to be a class where we say, okay, here is the first specialization you can pick, and it's going to be very very different depending. Because there are people who want the artificer to be, I just want my artificer to make gears and forge stuff and clockwork yeah, and catapults that. and nothing magic whatsoever. And there's a totally group, different group of people who are like, no, I want my artificer to be making magic items but not casting spells. And then there's another p- group of people who are, I want the artificer to be a spellcaster who specializes in spells that impact or create sure. items. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds but, really excellent. You've got like a whole line, um, some... You'll sort out the fifth edition item creation rules. Nice, that should. Yeah, you know, well, I'll have to. Right? <laughs> yeah, or or at least or, something good enough that that you can have a class that plays with mm. them. Yeah, or could you ever bash at the uh, expiration rules as well? I personally appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> feel feel free to convince people to tell me I should have a fifty third product. Um, and okay, the, part of why I'm doing this is that it is very difficult to constantly get people's attention when you are doing projects. Mm. Um, I I can't tell you the number of times that someone has said to me, what I really want is a game product for Pathfinder that tells me how to make characters' names an important game mechanical part of their character. And I'm like, I I wrote that product. I'll send you the URL. It's been out for four years. Mm. Um, (laughs) But they haven't seen it. They don't know that. So by having all four game systems and all 52 products as part of the same program, uh, I only have to get your attention once for your interest in this whole line. Yeah, so yeah. every time I release a new product, I'll be able to say, hey, 52 and 52 has a new product. Maybe this is the one that excites you enough to buy into the sure. whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That does sound fast. And I'm going to buy into it, definitely. So that's that launches in January, you say? So the pre-order is up right oh, now. Okay. Cool. Um, so the, the, the yeah. pre-order is currently available uh, at the Open Gaming Store. You can go to opengamingstore.com, and there's this nice big 52 and 52. Mm-hmm. Or for that matter, right. uh, there are banners at a lot of their SRDs. So d20pfsrd.com, for example, mm-hmm. has a banner you can click on. Uh, we also have the catalog up uh, at one bookshelf, uh, Drive Through RPG. Um, if you uh, just want to take a look at that. What sort of a price are you looking at for the year buy-in so the pre-order? The buy-in for the pre-order is twenty nine ninety five. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the pre and and if you do the pre-order, uh, you mm-hmm. also get a bonus mega bundle of five hundred plus PDFs that you get immediately, <laughs> which I have been told is more than two gigs of data. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am not the one that put together the zip file, and I have not decompressed it because I already had all those. But that's what several customers have told me. Wow. So. Wow. Uh, at, that that way you gotta put that. <laughs> yes, through the end of the year for thirty bucks, you get more than five hundred PDFs right now, and then you'll get a PDF a, a week every week 
uh, through the next year. And every month we will compile uh, that Wait, month's sorry, that, product. That's 30 bucks for the year. It's 52 bucks over the year for $30. Yeah. Twenty nine ninety five gets you. It's $32. It's $30. Yes. For one year of content. Yes. That's incredible. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then I thought, I just thought, no, no, so he must mean $30 per month. But no, no, you mean $30 no. for a year's worth of content. Yes. Plus and then the price will go up to forty nine ninety five when the pre-order's over. Hmm. And the pre-order wow. will run at least through the end of the year. Uh, if demand is high enough, we will extend it sometime into January so that we will literally be doing the pre-order while the first products yeah. are coming so out. So basically you're talking but about a dollar Sometime, yeah, yeah, a little yeah, less than. Yeah. Well, um, well, like for 52 products over the course of a year at $30, that's just over 50 cents product. That's... That's pretty amazing. Well, if you do it now, it's 10 cents a product or less because you'll have the 500 <laughs> mega bundle, right? So, uh, but again, right, for, this this is a, a question of, of trying to do things in a different mm. way, right? Yeah. The way people, independents, have been trying to do this recently is to either uh, spend forever trying to create a big and impressive product and put it yeah. out and be out all of that money up front and hope people find it and you yeah. put it out once and it's gone or do a yeah. Kickstarter in which case the people who are backing you don't even necessarily know what they're getting when yeah. they back you because you've got stretch goals and, mm. and, and yeah. you may or may not have the track record of doing this. I, I have successfully done a product a week every week for four years in a row previously. Mm. Um, for Super Genius Games and Rogue Genius Games. So I've got a track record that says I can do a product a week, every week, without fail, for even longer than this. Uh, when it's I was running the Patreon models, models, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But again, with the Patreon, that's an ongoing thing, right? So yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. paying every month for more months' yeah, content. Yeah. So what mm -hmm. we want to do here is we say the product is the program. The product is 52 yeah. over 52. Yeah. You oh. buy it once and you'll get everything and you know how much it's going to cost you and you know when everything is going to come out. Yeah. Uh, and the it just gets better and better, and you get a little gift every week, hopefully, um, nice. that, that you care about. And, and if you don't care about all of them, um, that's part of the point is I'm bundling all of this on the assumption that there will be people who don't want all 52 products, mm. who yeah. don't care about all four game systems. But it is easier for me to say, look, all 52 products and all four game systems are one product, mm. You buy into that program and take whatever you want from yeah. it, and I'm pricing it so that you only need some percentage of that to be. Well, that's fair. I mean, you buy an RPG source book, yeah. you don't necessarily use every single bit of it, do you? You uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's going to be interesting to see how that how that does work, how that performs compared to a Patreon. Maybe maybe you'll be launching a whole new trend. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. if it if it goes well, right, I will have the option towards the end of next year. One of the things I'll have is data, mm. right? So mm -hmm. I will be able to reach out to people that bought this program and and say to them, hey, if I do 52 and 52 for 2021, what game systems do you want to mm. see? Have the trends changed? Are there products that you would like to see follow-ups sure. to? Are there new products you want? So I'll be able to forge a relationship with these people and get information. Uh, one of the on the uh, Paizo forum, someone asked me, do you have actual data on mm which four game systems you're supporting because it would be a shame if you spend a year making four game systems worth of content mm -hmm. and only two of them are played by the majority of players. Yes. Well, yes, that would be a shame, but I can't predict yeah. which of these four are going to be most no. popular. I've got my guesses, um, but I also have my babies, right? Uh, Starfinder is still very near and dear to my heart, mm. so it might not seem like it makes sense to have... First and second edition Pathfinder, fifth edition, oh. and then Starfinder, which oh, has a lot I, of science I know for, fiction I know elements, for a fact all that the same game nobody product. plays D&D fifth edition, so don't, 
Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 5e oh, no, is not <laughs> 5e is not the one I am specifically worried about people playing, but since I am releasing this uh, OGL rather than on the the DMG, yeah. there is the question as whether they will they will find it. Will they be interested in buying it in this format? I think so. Um, I think but so. it's 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 a risk, and it's a risk I'm willing to take uh, to trust that I I can get the necessary attention and penetration for people to want to buy this thing, and if yeah. it works out, I would love for this to be a new model for independent creations mm. and we can yeah. you know if it turns out that what people want are fewer bigger products maybe in 2021 we do 12 and 12 mm. or yeah. for that matter we could do four and four every quarter we give you a 180 page book whatever it is people want but we got to start with yeah. something yeah exactly i mean it's clearly a project you feel massively passionate about but i am aware that we are running close to time um yeah so um yeah thank you so much for coming on owen it's been an absolute pleasure um you're more than welcome on any time you like we'd love to have you back absolutely i'd love to be back i'd like to get you on to talk about fantasy age in more detail once you've been yes. doing it for a, for a bit that would be great oh absolutely that'd be amazing yeah, yeah. love to well thank you gentlemen it was a delight to be yeah. on uh it's goodbye for me russ uh, it's goodbye for me peter coffee from the southampton guild of role players and it's goodbye for me, Owen Casey Stevens. Thank you very much. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here.